Hello and welcome to the Merseyways podcast. I'm Sarah and I'm part of Liverpool City Council's communications team. Culture and Liverpool go hand in hand. Whether it's enjoying a play in one of our theatres, taking the kids to the museum, checking out an art exhibition, attending events in our parks with your friends, or watching some of the biggest names in pop or comedy take to a stage. Culture is a key part of our lives and no more so than in Liverpool, where the leisure, creative and cultural sector makes up 38% of the city's economy and brings in a massive £270 million to the council. This money is then invested in core services such as social care, health and education. But that all came to a grinding halt in March 2020. Two years and a few Covid variants later, Liverpool is back in the culture business and we are 100% here for that. In today's episode, I'll be chatting to Director of Culture, Claire McColgan, and Cabinet Member for Culture and Visitor Economy, Councillor Harry Doyle. We'll reflect on the past two years, and I'll do my very best to squeeze as much information as I can about what events we can look forward to in the city this year. Hi both, and welcome to the Mersey Waves podcast. Um, I'm going to start with the C-bomb, I'm afraid, and I mean COVID, not anything else. Um, at the time of recording, we are nearly at the two-year anniversary of the very first lockdown. Claire, take yourself back to March 2020. Could you have even imagined at that time what impact COVID would have on the cultural sector in Liverpool? No, I mean, I don't think anyone could think about the impact that COVID would have full stop, just could they? I mean, I think it all feels bizarrely a bit like a dream now. feels like it was not two years ago when we were, you know, shutting everything down when the last cruise liner came in. We just um, had the Navy ship in, hadn't we, in, in, in the city and events were kind of really, really big then. And then suddenly things just stopped. So, the, so there's that, but there's also like this time last year, we were doing the events research program and that feels like years ago. And that, you know, that was kind of testing about how we get events back up and running in a really safe way. And the city was chosen to do that. And this time last year, it was probably one of the most stressful times in my life. So it does feel like it, it was some sort of very, very, very odd dream. Um, that, that we've come out of now. And obviously, you know, COVID is, is still around, but two years is a long time. It's a long time for events not to be kind of up and running really in the city and for people to feel confident about them and happy about them and, and to come back to them and for the sector to recover, really. Hmm. Is it a surprise that we moved so quickly and we're so, you know, we went into lockdown and then within months, we were up and running with um, Liverpool Without Walls, which for anyone listening was an initiative which allowed the hospitality venues to trade outside and we incorporated um, art and street theatre as part of that. Was it a surprise that Liverpool was so far ahead of any other city? No, I don't think it was, because I think what is really great about Liverpool, and we talk about this all the time, but it is hugely important, is the partnerships that we have, where we can make things happen really quickly. So the partnerships across the public and private sector, the partnership with the cultural organisations, partnerships with the hospitality sector. And I think we, 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 we're very good as a city about coming up with solutions to things. Um, and you've always got to put yourself in other people's shoes. And I think with Weather Without Walls, we were talking about, you know, support grants for the hospitality sector, all of that sort of stuff, which was all great. But actually, if you were a tiny little business on Castle Street, what would be the most useful thing that we could have done as a city to make things all right? And I think that 
when we came up with that walls, that was that. It was about, well, shut the streets. You know, you can go outside and trade in the summer. So let's sort out your, your, your furniture for you. Let's take all that pressure away from you. So you've got the chance to recover because the business rates from the hospitality sector in the city are what keeps our essential services going. So it's in the council's best interest to do brilliant things for that sector and to help them, to give them that helping hand when they needed it most to be successful. And I think kind of, the, you know, I can't remember the statistics that came out from it, but people were brought back into jobs. It, it was hugely successful, but it's no surprise to me that Liverpool does things like that because we work really, we're really good at a crisis and we're really good, I think, as a city about putting ourselves into other people's shoes and thinking, how can we help and that runs through Liverpool's veins, doesn't it? It's not just in the council. It does run through people's veins. And I think what we did without, without walls was just give that lifeline to businesses that, you know, were on their knees, really. I know COVID's <laughs> obviously been absolutely dreadful and awful for the sector. But actually, as Claire said, in terms of partnerships, it has made that even stronger. I think, mm. um, you know, people often wonder, not just in the culture sector, but, you know, just across the country and um, in different sectors, you know, what... what what do councils actually do? And you know, we do we do an awful lot. And people, I think, have realised during the pandemic just how much actually um, the council does to bring people together to um, support them with different um, schemes and mechanisms and um, uh, you know, to access support from central government, for example. And um, I think people appreciate more now just to what extent um, councils, the roles that they have to play um, in 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 supporting people locally. Yeah, because I think your story is really interesting, Harry, because you became cabinet member in 2021. So, so massively in the throes of all things COVID. And one of your first, well, your first challenges to yourself really was that you wanted to go out and meet all of our cultural organisations that we fund. So 27 organisations. I mean, that's quite a mammoth task. Yeah, I think um, it, it, it has been really difficult, obviously, coming in at a time whereby, um, you know, there were still restrictions in place. Um, you know, audiences went back to their normal selves. You know, we weren't seeing large audiences back in, in May 2021. Um, you know, it was still very uncertain in terms of what people to expect. Um, so it, it was really difficult coming into that. But what I really found quite heartwarming was going around those organisations and, um, you know, they learning more about what they actually did during lockdown because... You know, we're talking about the sector, we're talking about um, physical numbers, etc. But actually, um, the other effect, uh, the other affected group and people are the people, of course, in that sector um, and, and the creatives and the artists um, who, you know, this is their livelihoods. They have been extremely, um, you know, affected. And, and you know, um, in terms of the mental health, really damaged during, during the pandemic because, you know, when when I'm stressed at work and, you know, when I, uh, you know, just need to have a bit of, let off a bit of steam, you know, I'll, I'll go to the gym or, you know, I, I enjoy running. Um, yeah, I'll do something that I enjoy. Um, and this sector and, and, and all of our um, freelancers and artists, etc., they didn't have that opportunity to, to, you know, just set up at the Philharmonic and, and play mm. to a, a large crowd and have that experience. And I think, you know, it's important to note that yes, they didn't have large crowds to, to to play to, but what they did have was those organizations that we support 
continuing um, and adapting what they do and deliver um, so that actually people still could access those services and those um, you know, activities that, that they had to, you know, Philharmonic, for example, had audiences online, um, you know, you had dance, uh, dance studios uh, moving to online and virtual classes. And so you know, the, the, the um, sector completely adapted to ensure that people didn't feel isolated in their homes. And I think that's important to, um, you know, to remember. Yeah, it was impressive, wasn't it, how that change came about? And I think, I'll probably ask both of you this, but do you think, and this is not me tempting fate in any way, but if we found ourselves in this situation again where we were facing an, another lockdown, do you think we'd do things differently and do you think we'd be even quicker off the mark than we were in 2020? Well, I mean, yeah, I don't want to tempt fate, but I think, um, you know, we, we weren't prepared in the sense that, I mean, the world, not in terms of individuals, but the world wasn't prepared for mm. what hit us in 2020. Um and, you know, we've seen that shift, haven't we, in, in everyday life, moving over to virtual meetings, you know, we're recording this via Zoom and, um, you know, mm. people are getting used to just using that technology. And um, those organisations that we're talking about as well and, and beyond those 27 as well, they have, um, you know, invested in technology so that they can actually, uh, I say, to, to adapt what they do and deliver. So I think they're in a much stronger position now, you know, if, if we ever did need to, um, to switch, you know, back to, to working virtually, you know, working outdoors, for example, you mentioned they've put out walls before, that was a fantastic initiative that allowed, you know, performers mm. to come out onto the streets. So it was really, um, I think we are in a better place to, 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 um, to do that. Um, I think <laughs> I'd realise it was a marathon, not a sprint. I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, I think when we went into it in 2020, we think, right, it'll all over, be all over by, you know, June, July, it'll be three months tops and we'll be back, you know, doing River of Light in November and the, all of that sort of stuff. And of course it went on and on and on and on, didn't it? And then we kept coming out and going back into lockdown. So I think we are used to turning things around that quickly now about you know, if there's a lockdown in two weeks time, we, we, we kind of know what to do. I think... Um, It'll be interesting to see how the longer term recovery of the sector um, pans out post the pandemic, because I think people's um, the way that people behave has changed a bit more. So people do stay a bit more local. You know, they do stay in with Netflix much more than, than, than they did. It's a bit of a younger crowd in the city centre than, than there used to be. A lot of older people are still worried about coming back in. And some of the work that we that we've commissioned with public health in the next couple of months really addresses that it's about getting older people back into the city centre and get people who've been shielding back into the city centre and enjoying the life that the city can give again um so I think would I do anything differently well um I don't know actually I think I, I think it's about that kind of more knowing you're in this for the long haul because at the beginning I mean we were having eight o'clock meetings every single eight o'clock in the morning meetings every single day it was completely like it was lit like a sprint all our energy you know shielding food hub testing events it was just bonkers sorting out the set to making sure everyone was was okay um and I think that when you know things are kind of over a longer period of time you do you're much more reflective on the way that you deal with things um but we didn't know so it's great hindsight's mm. fantastic <laughs> mm, just, I, I'm going to move away from the topic of COVID but you touched on it earlier before Claire the um, government's um, events research program 
which essentially saw the city be the first place anywhere in the world to host events as we were coming out of the pandemic. I mean, I suppose to say that was a game changer for Liverpool might be a bit of an understatement. Claire, what do you think? I think it was, it was, we didn't realise it at the time. I mean, we knew why we were doing it because we'd always been pushing. Since we did the mass testing in Liverpool, one of the reasons why we went into doing mass testing, and I just remember the conversation really well with government, was, you know, that one of the reasons for Liverpool is that this part of our economy is so important to us. So if there's a city that needs to test stuff, we're up for that and we, we want to do that because it's important for us to get that, that side up and running. Um, so we were always saying that from the beginning, but as usual with these things, they get really complicated. So there was different government departments working on it. We were coming up with plans for one government department, then another government department was leading up. So it's all quite complex. And then after Christmas, um, the, one of someone who I used to work with years ago um, through the UK City of Culture stuff came into the DCMS in quite a which is Department of Culture, Media and Sport, in quite a pivotal role. And he'd heard that we were working with the Department for Health on this initiative. So he connected everything up and we ended up working with the Department of Culture on doing the events research programme. Um, it was probably the most, bizarrely, considering all the stuff we've done in the city, it was probably the most stressful thing I've done because I hadn't quite realised at the time of the profile it would have for the city. And also, I know this sounds really really odd but like you're trying you're still in event mode so for me the event was about stopping anyone having covid but of course covid is all around us and it is a thing that is never going away so for me the success factors were very different on this event and then when obviously you know i think if i can't remember how it was about 12 people did have covid in the events and that, that but that was part of the experiment so i think my the mindset on it was really 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 different than i mean we can put on an event like festival in Sefton Park any day of the week it's not difficult but when you've got scientists government advisors three different departments of government um an events team and all the politics you know with a small p not 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 party politics but politics of you know we're really trying something different here we're really you know putting our hand up to try something it was really 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 tough and um the support of the council was incredible because they never wavered. There was one point, I'll be honest, I went into the chief executive office and said, I'm not sure we could do this. I think it's, I'm really worried about what we're doing and not because of the event itself, but because of the, the when all kind of all the anti-vax stuff came out around the vaccine passport, which, which we were never going to do. That was really hard on some of the people we were working with, really, really tough on them, but they stuck with us and we kind of stuck it out and we cracked on with it. And it was probably one of the best things for the city we could have done because the repercussions of that we're feeling now in terms of people who want to work with us. So that was a bit long, but it was, mm. it was probably much more important for the city than any of us realised at the time, but it was also one of the most difficult things that we've done. I mean, we didn't sleep. I mean, I didn't sleep for like two weeks, probably round about it, because of course people were going to get COVID. I mean, we know that now, but at the time for me, that was devastating. <laughs> that was devastating. Um, well, you've been very, you've been modest, Claire. Claire, you've been very modest. What about being devastating? <laughs> no, 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 but devastating about, about, the, <laughs> about the work that you've done, because I think actually, and the team, because as you've said at the end there, it's, it's, it's opened the doors to so many other people uh, and different organisations that want to work with the city because of what um, we were able to deliver. And, you know, just take, for example, even the, on, on testing, which I know the culture team uh, was heavily involved with, with as well. We did the, the testing pilot scheme. You know, that actually resulted in lots of cruise ship companies um, coming and choosing Liverpool 
as their destinations because you know we, we we knew and they could see that we were delivering on something that they needed to do in order to actually run those um those trips yeah, that's right and that, that's a massive part of it isn't it it's, it's the way that liverpool was portrayed around the world which made loads of people go that's the city we want to do business with because they can they can do things but i mean it is funny that you talk about the mass test and harry because i remember on christmas eve andrew redhead who led the whole thing you know it was amazing but the two of us on Christmas Eve, and there was a big queue around Wavertree, and it was like an event. You know, you were just—I was like, "Why are there big queues everywhere?" There's big, and of course, people didn't mind because they were used to queuing for everything at that point. But your whole mentality is an events mentality where everything went smoothly, and and of course, these were brand new things that we were trialing for the whole country that had never, ever, ever been done before. And you know, I kept saying. I mean, we literally took over a military operation with five people and a and a bag of Haribos. So <laughs> there's, there's a whole there's a whole um, learning thing that at some point we properly need to capture around why we did things. And but I'm really glad we did. And again, that's that Liverpool spirit, isn't it? It's about putting our hands up and saying yes, and then running to catch up with ourselves afterwards. <laughs> I suppose that then spearheaded the way for us to try and return to some normality last year in terms of events we had two installments of river of light we had the bridge event in walton earlier this year we've had lunar new year so just focusing forward i know we can't go into a huge amount of detail about some of the events but harry can you uh, give us a taste of uh, what we can expect in 2022 um, no, so we've got Taste Liverpool coming to the city, which is obviously really exciting because, um, you know, I'm a bit of a foodie myself and I know, um, you know, many people are excited for that one. I know when that was announced, those people got in touch. Um, you know, we've got, obviously we'll have River of Light towards the end of the year again. We've got new events like Liverpool Against Racism. We're going to see the return of Liverpool International Music Festival. Um, so much going on, but also, and Claire will add more to that, um, but in terms of our partners as well, so the likes of National Museums Liverpool, NML, you know, they've got their Doctor Who exhibition, um, you know, which is going to run for a couple of months this year, which will be huge. And you know, I, we don't underestimate the impact that our partners have, because, of course, one of the most successful times in our city in terms of, you know, we think about hotel occupancy, etc., was when we actually had the Terracotta Warriors um, at the Museum in Liverpool. So, um, you know, our partners pull their weight as well in the city. So there's some really uh, exciting things happening this year um, and then we can't go into too much detail but um, I'm sure Claire adds some more to that list as well. Well Harry you say Doctor Who I say the Tudors. <laughs> the Tudors <laughs> the Tudors the Tudors are coming to National Museums I'm very excited about the Tudors exhibition love a bit of Tudors um, so there's that but also we've got the Turner Prize come in which has been announced to come to the Tay as well you know and Harry talks about our partners you know we couldn't do all the big events that we do without having the strongest cultural offer that we've got. We've just announced the funding for, for the cultural sector to stabilise them over the next year. But that's really important to us because only then can our partners do things like bring, you know, the Turner Prize to the city, which is hugely significant, will put us um, again on the map, will attract loads and loads of visitors. And the kind of PR and the media opportunities that, that go with that, with that are huge. And then, of course, in the autumn as well, we've got River of Light, which is absolutely a city favourite. And it, I also can't quite believe we did it twice this year. 
last year, um, <laughs> but which just seems really bonkers now. But we did it twice. So we've got River of Light coming back. Um, we've got the World Gymnastics. So I think our autumn season, and in the summer, obviously, we've you know Harry talked about taste. We've got the Queen's Jubilee, and people hopefully will have lots of street parties and do lots of really brilliant things in the city. Um, but the autumn for us is our big, big season this year. Um, and there's really, really lots to look forward to. No, it's really exciting. And just like looking at the, like the roster of what we're going to come up, it feels like once again, like just picking up Liverpool against races event, which um, is in April 24th to 30th of April. What, I mean, there is, doesn't seem to be any other city doing an event like this, pushing boundaries, having these sort of, you know, quite frankly, awkward conversation, really shining a spotlight. It's like Liverpool blazing a trail once again, isn't it? We, we always do. And I think, um, you know, that particular you know, event is going to be, you know, um, well, it's an important event for our city um, and, and, and for the country and, and worldwide. But we do, as you say, always push boundaries. I mean, look at last year when we had the statues redressed. Um, you know, that was another thing that when I came into to Cabinet, um, it was an absolutely fantastic um, art project, you know, people redressing some of our city statues and, you know, I remember the Queen Victoria on in, in Derby Square being dressed in you know, the, the um, uh, African cloth. And and, and so um, it just sparked those debates. And, and we, we dealt with that issue of, of um, well, the statues in particular in a much different way to other cities um, across the UK. And of course, that threw up some um, really strong uh, debates. You know, I, I remember I, I was quoted by Nigel Farage on on GB News, and <laughs> when it when it when it all kicked off, and you know, it was. Um, I mean, for a labor, for a Labour politician like me, TV Gold, of course, but you know, it really did spark um, that that debate nationally. Um, but I thought it was just the most fantastic way to address and start that conversation locally, and the artists that we had involved with all of those. Um, uh, pieces of, of work with the statues were just uh, phenomenal. Um, so yeah, we do do things differently. We do push boundaries. We start that conversation, um, and you know we do it right. Yeah, and I think I think just to kind of pick up on Harry's point there, I think we let artists lead that, artists and creatives lead that conversation, which is really important. And um, I think the Liverpool Against Racism stuff, I mean, the programme has far exceeded, I mean, we obviously haven't launched it yet, but it's far exceeded what I thought we, we would do in such a short period of time. But the passion and the enthusiasm from the creative community um, of all different genres, from music through to debate, through to theatre, has been phenomenal, actually. And I think that when you let artists and creatives open up discussions, it just gives it a real sense of we can do anything and we, we, we can solve anything because they come at things from such different angles that create a conversation that isn't binary so isn't just one thing or the other there's lots of kind of things in between and I love that and I think Liverpool does that really well and we're never scared of that we're never scared to let artists talk and talk loudly and talk clearly and that's what's brilliant about this city, you know, that that kind of absolute sense of social justice and absolute sense of being able to speak and and speaking with different views and everyone to have a kind of citywide conversation about that. Talking about a citywide conversation, um, when we were preparing for this podcast, we put a 
um, post out on Instagram saying we were chatting to two culture bosses this week and asked people for questions. And we have had quite a few and I won't be able to read them all out. But if you don't mind, I will put <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 rude. I'm delighted to say, um, but I will ask a couple of them if that's okay. Um, so the lush box on Instagram asked, "Will fireworks return to the pier head on bonfire night this year?" Oh, I will say that. One. Look, I've been really clear. One. We're still having discussions around it. There are obviously big pros and cons around fireworks. And we're looking at the budgets at the moment because fireworks cost a huge amount of money. Um, they People absolutely love them and some people don't love them. And we're looking at that in context of River of Light because we did River of Light without fireworks this time. But what we're looking at is, I think what people love as well is those big moments of coming together in the city. And we need to create those again post pandemic. That's what I'll say about that, Harry. Well, and I'll just add, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm personally, so this is personal opinion, you know, I'm not a huge fan of fireworks personally because of, you know, I've got three cats and, you know, I, I always think about the animals. But what we do love as a city, Claire's right, is that collective moment. Um, you know, we haven't got an answer yes or no right at this moment in time about fireworks, um, particularly bonfire nights, etc. But I think one thing we can be clear on is that we are definitely working on that collective um, experience um, and whether that's fireworks or whether that's an alternative you know, we're not sure of that at this moment in time um, but yes that was a good question mm, that's an intriguing answer as well um, let's move on <laughs> to Jan Doran Jan Doran 55 asked um, can we have more child friendly activities in the city please do you think our events are not child friendly Harry or Claire Oh, well, I think they actually, really are. Go on, go on, Harry, but I've got, an, I've got another answer. Go on, Harry, you go first. Yeah, no, it's fine. Can't you tell? that We're such a good match, me and Claire. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they didn't, they? I, I think they are. I, I think, you know, I remember you mentioned before about the the bridge project, project that we did in County, um, in Walton. Mm. And, um, you know, that was a really an event for the community, but the kids absolutely loved it. Um, and then I was sat there watching one of the shows one night and, um, you know, just seeing those kids that, you know, don't always go into town. So let's, let's not forget, not everyone goes into town. Um, a lot of our stuff is based in, in the city. Um, but, we, you know, we have started to think more about that community led approach as well. Um, and that, you know, culture in our communities. And I, I do think that actually a lot of our events, even in the city as well, that they are. Um, child friendly. I mean, I wouldn't have took uh, you know a child to you know the the um the event research program um event. Don't get me wrong, but um but yeah, I think I think the city does quite well. Yeah, and if you look at River of Light, that's what I love about River of Light is the fact that it's whole families that come out, um, and loads of them actually this year for the first time back into the city centre. And you just saw those kids. Do you remember Harry, the kids on the trumpet flowers? Um, which yes. were at the back of St George's Hall, who literally were beside themselves with excitement about bashing the trumpet flowers. And look, we've we've done loads of things with 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 children. You know, we did CBBS for two was it two or three years pre pandemic, which was obviously you know the biggest children's entertainment platform in the world came to Coxford Park so we're really ambitious about children we've got some um I'm not allowed to talk about it now because we haven't even talked about this year properly yet um but we've got some really big plans for next year around children and also because of the child-friendly city status that we're, that, that we're going for um 
that there'll be some lovely things for children next year. Yes. I'm stopping. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, <duh. laughs> Lip sealed. I know. I'm so rubbish. That's why, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, well, I don't, I'll ask you this one anyway. I'll point this to Claire. Clouty Dumplings has asked, what can be done to support musicians and artists who aren't the Beatles? Oh, what a, well, first of all, what a great um, name. <laughs> Twitter feed or for your, for your question, you know, brilliant. I think we, we do loads of stuff to, to, to support artists who want the Beatles. Obviously, you know, whenever the Beatles are mentioned in this city, it's blown up by 20 million times. Um, and we, we we heard that with the pool, didn't we, when, when that announcement was made. I mean, interesting the pool, although it has, it has got a Beatles attraction of sorts that it's not, it's much more than that. So the ambition around that is exactly what you're asking for, which is a place where musicians can learn, they can train, they can be taught, they can play, they can learn from each other and learn from the best in the world. So there's a huge ambition around the pool project that um, probably was quite um, simplistically talked about when that announcement was made, but it's because the Beatles make international headlines and, and, and I'm kind of used to that now. Um, we give huge amounts of support to the cultural sector around music, you know, from um, smaller organisations, but who do brilliant things like Africa and the festival that we support there through to the Royal Liverpool Philharmonic Orchestra. So we do, we do support music um, probably much more in fairness than we support anything to do with the Beatles. But I do understand because the second anyone mentions anything to do with the Beatles, it's from the page of the New York Times. And that's great for the city, but sometimes I guess for musicians here, it can feel a bit like, oh. <laughs> Claire, we've also got Limp Academy, of course, as well, which yeah, is a, yeah, a big, course, big yeah. part of the, the legacy project from, from the Blue International Music Festival. But, you know, you're absolutely right, the Beatles at, the, at this moment in time, and I'm sure for a long time, will, is a major pull factor for our city. You know, the most, um, you know, most pictured, statue in the city is, is the Beatles on the waterfront so they are a major thing for our city of course but we are thinking I'm acutely aware that you know we are we do want to support the next generation of artists from our city as well uh, and so you know Lymph Academy is just an example of that so uh, but that, yeah that was a really good question because it's something that I ask myself sometimes as well you know when let's have that serious conversation you know is Beatlemania ever going to end is it always going to be a pull factor for our city I'm sure it will be I'm sure it will be, but we've got about we've got to think about the next generation as well. No, definitely. Um, I'm just going to rattle very through. I'm conscious of time, so I'm going to rattle through two final questions. One from um, Jenny Farney, who's having a bit of a throwback here. Claire, she's saying, "Why did Matthew Street Festival stop?" Oh gosh. I can't remember. That. I'm looking at. I'm actually looking at a post now to remind me which date it stopped. Was it 2013? It must yeah, have been, was it around there? It must have been around there. It had just got, I think what, what's happened with Matthew Street is people absolutely loved it. And it was great if you wanted to go and listen to those bands and have a great night, you know, day, day, weekend out with, with your family and with, and with your friends. But it cost a huge, huge, huge amount of money. So it was our biggest event that we ever did. And we couldn't, we tried very hard and we've done very well with getting sponsorship for other things. So it's not like we, 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 were, in, we were unsuccessful in that. So we tried very hard to get sponsorship for it. People wouldn't sponsor it because it was very alcohol related as a, as a festival. You couldn't control it. So the only way we could control it would have been to build huge barriers around three quarters of the city centre. And then also people have got to remember that the city's changed. And I kind of pinch myself sometimes about that. So when we started Matthew Street all those years ago, 
nothing happened on a Sunday in Liverpool. So there was no shopping, there was no, you know, it, it was shut on a Sunday. So the streets were ours to play with. Whereas Sundays now are probably just as busy as Saturdays in the city centre. So you were literally kind of stopping the city centre from working for a whole weekend. And we struggled to get great artists as well. So it, it was obviously, you know, the big thing about Matty Street was around cover bands. And you have to make a choice about, and it goes back, in some ways it goes back to that Beatles question. If you want to spend that amount of money on something, should you be spending it on real live artists, you know, artists that are going to kind of, you know, the next generation of, of musicians, what, what do we want to be seen as as a city? And when we invented Lymph post Matthew Street, it was that, you know, it was much more diverse, much more inclusive, much more um, kind of about a new generation of artists coming through rather than the cover bands um, and, and, and the stuff that happened in Matthew Street. It's a real challenge because Matthew Street kind of was, a, in some ways, was a victim of its own success in terms of the numbers that came but in turn, but we were spending every single penny more or less of that budget, you know, in comparison on infrastructure. So on barriers, on policing, on stewarding. And that's not the way around. The majority of our money on any event should be spent on great content and great artists and great work and the lesser amount on infrastructure. And when that starts to flip, you've got a problem with an event. Perfectly comprehensive answer. And uh, Harry, <laughs> I can't believe I can remember. I'm like, I'm like Methuselah, not Methuselah. Miss Havisham sitting here. <laughs> uh, and Harry, I will throw the last question to you, and I'm sure this will come as no surprise at all. We had quite a few. Hold on. Can I um, ask a question but... for Harry, Sarah, quickly? Can I ask a question? Oh, Harry, do you remember Matthew Street? Because the difference in our ages is quite interesting sometimes with me and Harry. I talk about 2008 all the time. I <laughs> no, I definitely don't remember Matthew Street, but I do remember 2008 because I was involved in a couple of projects at school. So 2008 was a massive, massive year for the city, and I certainly felt it, you know, when I was at school as well. Oh, that's so depressing at school. So. <laughs> and uh, um, while we were running around, um, so Harry, no surprise, quite a few questions and I'll just pick Chatmandu's Are the Giants Coming Back? <laughs> <laughs> I can't Sorry. see it when Zoom calls are really bad. Oh, <laughs> do, you know, do you know, the first question I ever asked Claire when I <laughs> stood up into the role was, oh, can we have the Giants back, Claire? <laughs> that, and what did I say, a, Harry? <laughs> Well, you had a heart attack, first of all. Um, so <laughs> it wasn't the best response that I had. Um, I'm not going to lie, but I, I understand why. You know, operationally, it was it, it was huge. I think, listen, um, never say never is what I would say. Um, you know, we've had a really difficult two years. Um, John, is it John Lucas, isn't it? The, 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 yes. He was the curator of, of that. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, he said that would be his last time. The last time we had it in the city was like 2019, 2018. I can't remember now. It feels like years ago. Um, but, you know, I suppose you never, never know. I can't give a yes or no answer again. What I can say is that I can certainly see a reason as to why they should come back to the city. Um, I think there's a story to tell. Um, and whilst it might give Claire, um, push Claire over the edge, um, <laughs> metaphorically speaking, um, I would like to explore it. I think that's all I'm, I'm going to say, if that's okay. That's okay, Harry. I'll come back to you on it, though, and say, 
John Luke had retired the Giants, so they, they are retired. It was the last city that he did them in. I think who knew we were going into a pandemic is all I'd say on that point. Um, and if I shut my eyes or look at the pictures that are on my wall and see those images outside um, on the strand or just in front of the Liver building on that very last day, it just breaks your heart, doesn't it? Because those kids now are going to be, what, four, four, five, six, you know, the ones on people's shoulders, all of that stuff. And people have grown up with giants um, in this city. We know we've walked with giants. So, yeah, it, 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 who knew we'd have a pandemic? And those big events that brought so many people together are such a distant memory at the moment. And I hope that, you know, going back to the start of the conversation, that will start to change this year and we'll, we'll be able to bring people back in force with their families and their loved ones again in this city. That sounds like a perfect note to end this podcast on. And thank you so much both for joining us today. It's very exciting to hear about this year's programme and a, a bit of a hint about next year being a biggie as well. So thank you very much, both of you, and uh, have a good week. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Bye. That's the end of this episode. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to drop the Mersey Waves team a line, maybe you have a suggestion for future episodes, why not send an email to hello at merseywaves.co.uk.